Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the EC Method podcast. I am one of your coaches, Chloe Maidley. And I am your other coach, Emma Story Gordon. Oh, we're getting so good at it yeah, now. Yeah, we're smooth now. I know. Um, I think we all uh, should give a mental round of applause to Emma, who raised, what was it in the end, 26 grand for UNICEF? 27 grand. 27 grand. Yeah. And I'm sure that a few of our clients had a had a role to play in that. So well done to everybody who donated, and especially Emma um, and Mike and Dan for just absolutely smashing it. Yeah, it was really awesome and so much fun to do and actually not that stressful. So I would... No, it's... Yeah. It felt really chill. Yeah, it was really enjoyable and such good content. And, and you're right, so many of the Easy Method people um, donated and got involved, which is amazing. And hopefully they will have learned a hell of a lot as well. Yeah, definitely. I did. It's absolutely fantastic. I'm already poaching people from Fitness Unfiltered to come on the next series of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's happening. <laughs> okay, awesome. Let's get down to the questions this week. So the first one is from Katie. She says, I eat constantly within my calories. Oh, no, wait, sorry, I've read that completely wrong. I eat constantly, in brackets, within my calories, rather than big meals. Should I be using this time to practice more self-restraint and have bigger meals? I will give this some context because she also wrote in her, like, note to self on her check-in, you go, girl, halfway and three kilograms down. So, (laughs) given that context, what would your advice be? Well, even without the context, but, you know, first of all, well done, that's phenomenal. But um, even without the context, no, if you're hitting your calories and you're hitting your protein um, consistently, it doesn't matter if you sit down for three big meals a day um, or if you graze and have, you know, seven small meals a day. Um, There's probably arguments, actually, that the latter is better, which, you know, could be hotly debated and will be very nuanced. So I won't go into them. But um No, absolutely not. That's completely fine. And yeah, in context, like, well done, Emma, for shouting that out, because that's incredible. You should be really proud of yourself. And in the context of that, I think you should have proven to yourself that it doesn't matter that you're not sitting down for big meals throughout. Like, it's completely your choice. You don't have to to eat in any specific uh, way. Emma? Yeah, I think, well, firstly, it's working for you. So there's no need to change it. But just to give both sides of the argument, like like Chloe says, there's you could argue both ways on this. So potentially what you might not be doing is getting in enough protein at each like meal slash snack or, you know, let's say, for example, you're having like six small meals a day. You might not get 25 grams of protein in each of those meals, which means that you might never fully stimulate muscle protein synthesis. That could that would be one slight downside but then you could argue that if you're, you know, especially if you're someone who potentially struggles from this like binge restrict cycle, eating more frequently is definitely a good thing. And that's a, what a lot of people, especially women, I think, struggle with a little bit is that when they start sort of holding back their calories so that they can have bigger meals, it often turns into overeating because they're so hungry beforehand. But then as yeah. Chloe says, there's another side of that, that there are benefits to fasting. So I guess my roundabout point is it's working for you. If you're happy doing it, then I wouldn't bother changing it. And the point of all that context was just that there will always be an argument for either side. Like there is evidence to support either side. And I think people get so confused with it all. And at the end of the day, it's making sure that you hit the basic principles. And if fat loss is the goal, it's getting in enough protein and it's staying within your calories. 
Yeah, I agree. I think in terms of human behavior, especially as well, there's going to be arguments for both and studies that show both. And yeah, Emma's completely right. If it's working for you and you, you literally have evidence that it is, then you don't need to worry about changing it. You're fine. Yeah. Okay. Next question. This is from Cara. She says, I eat a lot of bananas and apples and that whacks my calories out completely. If I have two apples and a banana, it's about 270 calories and no protein in them but I find it hard to hit my protein goal. Can I cut myself a bit of slack on fruit and veg regarding calories? Thoughts? Um, what, uh, okay, right. Uh, can you cut, cut yourself a bit of slack when it comes to counting fruit and veg towards your calories? Um, no. (laughs) So essentially, uh, calories are calories are calorie. If you're blowing your calories out on fruit, then you obviously, um, are going to have to pull back a little bit on that. Um, if you know that it's fruit specifically and the rest of your diet is pretty well balanced and pretty good, um, then you're just going to have to cut back on it because you're blowing your calories out. Um, you know, I would love to eat pizza every day, but I I can't. (laughs) So it just is what it is. Um, I do know what you're saying though. You know, you're kind of intimating that, obviously fruit and veg are much healthier than say a pizza and i totally get that they're much more nutrient dense um they're much more beneficial in terms of your micronutrients your vitamins and minerals um however they do still count as calories so i mean congratulations that your sweet tooth is quite clearly a very healthy one but at the same time it doesn't really matter because it's still calories so no um when it comes to oh sorry let me just make sure my airplane mode is on um when it comes to um when it comes to veg obviously you can you can eat a lot more you can get a lot more bang for your buck because they are a lot more uh calorie light than than fruit um so you could you can probably overdo it on veg and be way 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 within your calories so in a sense yes uh you can, you don't need to be so strict when it comes to veg um and why don't you just do why don't you just kind of why don't you buddy it up so if you're gonna have a piece of fruit or whatever why don't you have like a protein shake first and then have your fruit and then you're kind of getting in the nice balance of a protein intake and a carb intake. And they're both really nutrient dense and good for your body. Um, and try and figure out a way to marry the two together or like chop it up and put it in some 0% Greek yogurt. That's a huge protein here, which is, um, which is going to get your fruit intake in. There are ways that you can try and merge the two. Emma. Yeah, I think brilliant points. And I get the argument. I get this question. So we know that fruit is good for us. It's got, loads of great things in it and we want to get in fruit. I definitely want everyone to be eating fruit in their diet but that doesn't mean that the fruit doesn't have calories and that those calories can't contribute to weight gain so you've got two options you either cut back on something else so that you can have a little bit more fruit the options that Chloe's given is brilliant like getting in protein with that fruit and I think this idea that like that doesn't matter like a lot of people are like oh I didn't track my veg but we've spoken about this before like yeah it might be small amount of calories but it is still calories so we don't want you to like weigh out your veg but we do want you to account for it like anything that you eat you have to account for that's like the basic rule um Mm. i think this comes a little bit from slimming world where they have like these free foods that you can eat as much as you want of and one of them is bananas and a lot of um... (laughs) them have you never heard that I have that. I haven't heard it in a while and it just never gets old. I'm sorry, carry on. <laughs> I know. It is quite hilarious. And a lot of um trainers and stuff just 
like I guess just kind of laugh at it but don't explain it so there is logic behind it now I'm not like trying to defend it it's just good to see things from both sides so most people will not overeat bananas and I think the mentality of of not feeling restricted because you know if you're like oh god I've, I've reached all my calories I can't eat any more today that often gives feelings of restriction and I think that's a huge part to play in your adherence to a diet if you're feeling restricted and your that could be different to, for different people for example I feel more restricted counting calories than I do cutting carbs yeah. but the same basis is true it's still creating an, en- an energy deficit or some yeah. people feel more restricted fasting because they're like oh my god I can't eat until 12 o'clock whereas other people are like oh no I feel more restricted like if I'm very strict to my calories whatever the point is these quote-unquote free foods that you can eat as much of as you want are foods that you tend not to overeat and they tend to fill you up so they often have quite a lot of fiber in so to give Slimming World its credit like I did I do think they thought about the foods that they were giving as like quote-unquote free foods and I do think there was a bit of behavioral psychology behind that but obviously you can't just eat as many bananas as you want they still have calories in so very long story short no, you can't just cut yourself some slack on fruit and veg, but you should prioritize those things. So one thing I've often done with clients is set them like what I call like a skeleton plan or their non-negotiable plan, which might be, let's say you're on 1600 calories, I would set you a 1200 calorie, like kind of a meal plan. Just to give you a bit of like, I call it a skeleton because it's like you can build around that. And then if you're on 1200 calories of meal plan, that would that would include like your, your protein target, fruits and veg, um, making sure you hit like a couple of whole grains every week and things like that. So on top of that, you would have like 400 quote unquote free calories to do with mm-hmm. what you want. You could either bulk out those meals or you could add in like something that you really enjoy or you could save it up for like a bigger meal one night with your partner or whatever it is so sometimes like even setting yourself that because you guys should have the knowledge now that you know what you need to get in you know you need to hit your protein target you know you need to get in fruit and veg and then build a sort of meal plan around that and then on top of that it's not as important what you use those extra calories for so if it was apples and bananas which would be great or if it was chocolate at least you're hitting all of those sort of non-negotiables in your diet beforehand yeah I think that's brilliant advice and actually I think there's a couple of people doing that on the easy method um who are and actually I think Emma this was your advice that they are basically uh using the meal plan and then making up their calories kind of yeah as Emma said like free quote unquote free calories and why that's so brilliant is because not only does it teach you how to eat as in what your best options are re proteins carbs fats um throughout the day But it also starts to teach you how to have a little bit of dietary freedom without going crazy. And that is a really difficult learning curve of tracking is being like, okay, I still have to make sure I get my protein in. I still have to be nutritionally minded. I still have to be healthy and get my fruit and veg in. And I still have to adhere to those kind of quote unquote dietary rules. Um, But actually, it is now more of a numbers game than anything else and if you want to have a cookie you can and if you want to have a glass of wine you can and it's a really nice way and I I said this to one of the girls yesterday of learning how to have the restriction of basically making sure that you're on top of having a good diet but also having the freedom where you don't feel um 
restricted at all by 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 what you're eating um and it's a tricky it's a tricky game it's a tricky thing to try and get your head around and get your behaviors around but um yeah emma that's brilliant advice and i am definitely going to steal that from you and do it in the future (laughs) well we sort of had this discussion didn't we we were like should we give meal plans or should we just like give some macros or like calorie targets and i think that it's really hard for most people unless you're very very good at tracking and even then sometimes you kind of want to know like oh what would chloe and emma suggest that i eat that would be really good so having a meal plan there is a bit of a guide like even if you take the ones that chloe's done and and change them around a little bit but you've got some kind of structure there it's much easier than starting from scratch and and not really knowing where to start and and what you need to get in there so i think it is it's a really helpful tool I started on a meal plan and I swear to God, I, I really would have, first of all, learning how to track calories and macros, it, anyone will tell you, as I'm sure all of our listeners will, it's really huge learning curve and it feels like you have a second job for the first couple of weeks that yeah. you're doing it. It's like really overwhelming and you constantly question if you're doing it right or wrong and, and a lot of the time you are doing it wrong and you learn that as you go and it's and it's, it's quite it's quite a big thing to have to take on and learn how to do. Um, and I swear to God, not only did I very much react like that and feel that way, if I hadn't have had a meal plan and been kind of an understood nutrition beforehand is in like I pretty much I implemented my own meal plan which was kind of like oats uh bananas protein powder kind of all all animal protein sources you can imagine all veg you can imagine and then like avocados and nuts and nut butter were my fats and eggs were my fats like I kind of had a meal plan in place every day of what I what I couldn't what I wouldn't wouldn't eat that day um and if I hadn't had that and the understanding of what macros they all were tracking would have been 10 times harder than it already was so actually yeah like really fantastic advice from emma and implement a meal plan if you want to you can make it up yourself it doesn't have to be one of one of the ones that we're putting up there um and then if and then try and make up your calories throughout the day that's what i do i mean that's why i managed to that's why last weekend i managed to drink on friday saturday (laughs) and sunday and still stay within my calories um ish i kind of had to make it up on monday a bit um but yeah that that's kind of how you how you do it and how you learn to to enjoy your life yeah yeah and i i do think sometimes meal plans get a bit of a bad rep like but it's mainly because old bro sort of bodybuilder style, like you, their coaching method is you have to stick to this meal plan. You can't deviate from it. Yeah. But I do think there are loads of pros to a meal plan, especially if you're making it yourself. Like actually, yes. if you're struggling with your diet at the moment, sitting down on a Sunday night and just writing yourself a meal plan for the week and getting focused yes. is such a good thing to do. I do it every prep, every single prep. I get about halfway through, my calories get lower, it gets harder, and I start to get very frustrated with myself because things are getting tighter and I'm struggling, um, which is very normal. And exactly like Emma said, sit down with my Sharpie pen. I've got a thing I can only write in Sharpies. It's very weird. With my Sharpie pen and my paper, and I write myself a meal plan and I implement it the next day and then once the ball is rolling it gets easier and easier and easier to adhere to especially you know if your calories are lower um you really really need need that kind of structure in place or it does get very hard very very hard so yeah that's again fantastic advice Mm -hmm. I think as well being accountable to yourself is a really important skill so I do write down on uh, write down I do sit down on a Sunday and write out like what I want to achieve that week and some of it's yeah. business-wise, some of it's work-wise, some of it's 
um, getting enough training in, maybe getting my steps in, hitting a certain calorie target. But I tend to find that future Emma is much like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, she'll, she'll be able to do that. Like, sure. Which I think is a good thing because you always set yourself quite high targets. But the other thing is like, you can't do this. This is going to sound ridiculous, but you can't just do this willy nilly. Like you have to be, you have to have huge respect for your list. Like nothing should go on there that you're not going to do. Because once you start letting yourself down or letting like the list down, then it just goes downhill. Like you want to be able to trust yourself. So like I would be quite careful with what you put on there. Don't write something ridiculous like, I'm going to run a half marathon every day if you've never run in your life. (laughs) But if you're like, okay, I want to build up to 10K over the whole week. I don't know why I'm talking about running, but I mean, it could be anything, but it has to be realistic so that you can tick that off and so that you are like accountable to that list. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, really good, a really good idea. I think when you become self-employed, you realize you're your own boss and you have to be accountable to yourself. Um, and yeah, I think giving yourself a structure, especially now, I mean, obviously we all keep talking about it, but especially now having an idea of what you want to achieve in the week, whether it's with your diet or your body or with your work, your creativity, or even just domestically with the house. I mean, now is really a great time to start writing lists and adhering to them. And it's actually something that's really beneficial that you can take take forward um out of lockdown and into the rest of your life i had a tutor when i was at school because i was as i'm sure you can imagine all over the place (laughs) all the time and uh, my tutor taught me how to get get organized and it changed really changed my life um and yeah it it, now it is the the thing that kind of keeps me able to to continue being self-employed and achieving things with my body that were really years ago long-term goals that I'm now I'm now kind of there so yeah it's, it's a really good thing to do do you find with your friends when they talk about you being self-employed there's like so a lot of my friends are like oh if I was you I'd just stay in bed all day like you don't need to get up and do anything like I would sleep in and all this like why do you still get up at six and I can't see that because I'm like I would be the exact opposite they were like oh well if I didn't have to be at work at a certain time I like I would just get up later or whatever but I'm like well I get to work for myself which means the more effort I put in the more rewards I get compared to I'm not very good at being employed because I'm like right so I do more work and you get more benefit doesn't sit that well with me (laughs) no I'm completely with you I'm completely with you on that it's such a such an interesting thing my friends just literally think I'm unemployed in fact everybody thinks I'm unemployed I think this is the curse of being my parents daughter people literally think I just do nothing mm. all day and I would say like I know a small handful of people who work harder than me Emma you're one of them um and yeah you when when all of your income and your retirement money and everything depends on you and you alone believe me that will light a fire under your ass but then the benefit of it as Emma said is that a we get to do what we love which we're lucky enough to have figured out anyway let alone be actually doing um and b we're not making money for somebody else which yes like me I mean obviously we're all super competitive in this industry that's how we ended up here like that just does not agree with the majority of us yeah, at yeah. all so yeah it's harder but but at least we're kind of at least we're more driven to work harder you know that's the, that's the difference I think mm-hmm. I think it's there's a big difference between a job and a career as well and, and like you said we're like I am so lucky and I'm sure you feel exactly the same to be able to do what we love for a job and that's not the case for everyone so some people might have a nine-to-five that they don't particularly enjoy but what they love doing outside of that sort of drives them to keep doing their nine-to-five 
so I think yeah. that I think that's a huge difference and and I'll often get like oh but you work all the time but but genuinely like this is work can I enjoy it we're yeah, having I know. a chat like, on a podcast I said to James the other day, I was like, you've literally done no work since this lockdown happened. He's like, I do a podcast every day. I was like, is that work though? Because so do I. And it's really fun. <laughs> and it's not but really it work. is, isn't it? Like, I mean, it's yeah. fun. It doesn't feel like work, but it technically is work. Yeah, it's te- according to my dad, my dad said to me yesterday, he was like, it's technically broadcasting. I was like, <laughs> oh, we." so technically, Emma, we have a career in broadcasting right now. <laughs> well, that, that'll be going down on my CV. Yeah. Okay, next question is from Carla. She says, if we wish to continue with the EC method, do we need to join the waiting list? I've actually answered this one. So, if you cuz this came up a couple of times, and basically no because you guys are VIPs and you will get like the first spaces. So, we are going to cap the numbers just because we want to make sure that if anyone needs us, we're available and that we can support you guys as much as possible and that I think when the numbers get a bit too big, we had a discussion about this, didn't we, that people just feel like a number instead of feeling like part of a community. So we don't ever want to grow to an extent that that would be an issue. Yeah, Emma and I have talked about where we are now. Obviously, we have uh, just over 100 members in the group and we both feel like we are able to talk to all um, as and when you need us and to help you en route. Um, we, we, yeah, we don't want it to grow too big. We don't want it to feel like a, what's it called? Cattle drive. What's the, what's the term I'm looking for that's just gone I out of my head? I have no idea. A cattle drive? Uh, we don't want it to be, yeah, whatever. You're calling all of like our members like... cows? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, this is the worst PR spin ever. <laughs> um no we don't want you guys to feel like you're basically coming in out in one way and out the other way um and we we actually really really and I actually I hope that this is transparent we love our job like as coaches and we love working with you all and to be honest it becomes a lot less fun for us when it's like a tsunami of of you know people and questions that we can't keep up with like we actually really really want to try and help every single person singularly achieve what they want to achieve um so yeah, we do have a cap number. You guys are going to come first, obviously. Um, first come, first serve. So um, Emma, what was it? We did. We, we do have a structure in mind for how we're going to roll you guys over and then let the next slot in. Um, this was Emma's idea, so I don't want to get it wrong. <laughs> well, I hope we're going to do this now. But we thought that maybe <laughs> you um... completely on the spot. <laughs> we can say to be confirmed. We'll say that, and then we can discuss yeah. in the group what people would want to do. Yeah. But we do have an idea for to basically put you guys kind of front front and center, and then and then go on to the next group after we know exactly who wants to carry it on. Yeah. Okay. Next question. I I also love your analogies of cattle and, and tsunamis. <laughs> I know. Really, really bad. You would have thought that we'd get that in the podcast. <laughs> oh, right. This question is from Helen. She says, "Does sleep really impact progress? If yes, why?" And yeah so that's the first half of the question uh yes it does really impact progress um for a multitude of reasons um uh, one of them being that if you if you are um sleeping badly then you are under recovered um if you are under recovered then you're not going to make as much physique progress as we would really like you to make another being that uh if you are uh 
not resting properly, uh, your hormone levels are going to take a hit. Uh, things like cortisol and stress hormones are going to rise, um, which isn't great when we want your body to be able to kind of go between a sympathetic, parasympathetic state is in like a fight or flight mode and then a rest and recovery mode. And that's optimal for your results. So um, it's not great in that sense. It's also not great. There have been incredible studies done um, on sleep and feelings of satiety, um, feeling like uh, basically it, it's, it's basically an increase in stress and physical stress that makes you makes your body kind of I'm trying to think of how to put this as colloquially as possible, um, kind of panic the next day and it can kind of make your uh, feelings of hunger go through the roof um, and your feelings of satiety drop, uh, which can lead you to overeat. There are so many reasons why sleep can genuinely, genuinely impact um, your progress. They're all quite complicated and nuanced but they're there um and so that's why emma and i i mean i always say to my clients try i know that this is so hard for so many people especially people who have crazy work hours or and or kids um try and get in eight hours a night when and where you can um more if you can but you know, don't panic don't make it worse for yourself if you have nights where you can't do that but really try because it really is like kind of the other side of you getting results is rest and recovery emma mm-hmm Great point as well about not panicking because I think a lot of people get these like sleep apps on their phone or on their Fitbit and you know you'll wake up and see that I tried it for a few weeks and I'm really lucky that I don't struggle with not sleeping and it was saying that my sleep wasn't like of a really high quality and I just worry that people see that and then stress that they're not sleeping enough and we all know when you're stressed you're not going to sleep well and and I think sometimes learning about how much sleep can impact progress or almost makes it worse because you're you're then stressing that you're not going to make any progress because you're not sleeping then you're up all night worrying about the fact that you're not sleeping so I think that is a dangerous sort of loop to fall into but from a physiological standpoint like it does increase ghrelin levels which are hunger hormones it does reduce insulin sensitivity um it can impair cognitive function and to quite a large degree I think there was one study that showed like it wasn't even, I, I can't remember the details, but it wasn't huge sleep deprivation and, and the cognitive function was like the same as what you would have got like drink driving. So they were say, basically saying that being very tired or sleep deprived is as worse as being having like had alcohol before you drive, which is a very scary thought because I'm sure a lot of people drive when they're tired. Um and I actually read a study today that was looking at sleep and it was quite interesting. So I think some people think, oh, I'm not sleeping well, which means that I'm not making progress with my fat loss. But sometimes it's actually the other way around. So people who are very overweight don't sleep as well, partly because of their weight, which then obviously like, I mean, it, even if you look at it from a really general standpoint, everything is harder when you when you've not been sleeping. So, yeah that can it's like a bit of a loop that being overweight can make your sleep less make you sleep less or make the quality of your sleep lower but yet that can also lead to you being overweight so it's quite a a hard loop to get out of um yeah but i would say that routine is a very good thing as well so it's not just about getting in enough sleep it's about going to bed at a similar time waking up at a similar time and most people suggest that you should do that like even on a weekend so I don't know if people will do that, but it, it is really good to get into a routine. And I know that if you work shifts, it's not possible. But 
there's some things that and I think if that is the case like try not to worry about it because there there is nothing you can do if you work shifts you can't get in a routine of going to bed at the same time all the time yeah but that is a it, it is um also yeah Emma's right so don't don't panic too much if you find that you're so completely accurate you want to try and go to bed around the same time wake up around the same time you want to have a, a sleep routine but that is also genetic um so i think have i think we've spoken about this on this podcast before um that there, there, there are so is it is it matthew walker um the sleep doctor dude yeah. he's amazing yeah and he did obviously he's incredible um he's got a, a couple of amazing book outs but he's also if you want just like a a quick injection of info um listen to his ted talk but he um basically did loads of studies and, and what they've shown is that whether or not you are um a night owl you know which which my mother certainly is somebody who kind of stays up all night um and then sleeps in really late or if you're a lark somebody who goes to bed early and gets up early um it's genetic and you of course you can play around with that to a certain extent um so you can obviously implement behaviors that can help you get to bed earlier or later depending on you know what you are but generally speaking where your natural set point is is genetic um, and it's really important to Emma's right, listen to your body and do everything you can in terms of lighting and, you know, read a book and maybe, you know, make sure that your, your, your temperature is kind of right when you're in your bed and you're ready to go to sleep. Um, there are things you can do to manipulate it and really help your sleep environment. Um, but ultimately, you know, if say, for example, and this is me and my husband, you tend to fall, to fall asleep around 11 p.m. and they tend to fall asleep around 9 p.m. Um, don't be too hard on yourself because there is a big spectrum of, of genetics here that um, I think people don't really take into account when it comes to manipulating sleep so yeah yeah there is such a, a variation as well and some people actually do very well off little sleep so yeah I like it is all averages we've spoken about this before but all of mm. the research when you look at the research like the optimal like sleep level is a 7.5 hours but when you look at the standard deviation of that so how many people had optimal sleep at different um time lengths that's huge so on yeah. average that's a good that's like a good marker to go by but you could be someone who needs a bit more you could be someone who needs a bit less okay next question from Carla I know you touched on this on previous pod podcast, but interested in how I can maintain weight once I get to that point. It's something I have always struggled with. Yeah, this is really common and um, it's changing now, um, obviously, because, because there's, there's so few like real physique studies up until recently, um, because obviously it's such a niche kind of section of um kind of physicality um but but essentially uh it's possible um and i've managed to do it before and i've done it for clients before um it's really difficult to do behaviorally speaking but it is 100 percent possible so you ideally would get to your goal weight um your goal physique um and you know obviously unless it's extremely unhealthily lean which this doesn't count for but if it's kind of pretty healthy and where you want to be um, what you slowly start to do is you implement a reverse diet, which means that you just slowly start to reverse your diet back up. So you walk calories up slowly, slowly, slowly. As Emma and I have said, we never really want your protein. We all, your protein should always be stable anywhere between 100 grams and kind of two grams per one kg of, of lean body weight. Um, 
So really you do it via fats and or carbs um, and you slowly start to walk your calories up as the weeks pass and you, uh, if you're kind of really training very much uh, with a fat loss goal, so you're doing quite quite a lot of cardio or potentially overtraining in the gym, uh, you try and kind of balance that out slowly, slowly as the weeks pass. Now, the reason I say it's hard behaviorally is because essentially it's like a double up of the diet. So say if it took a year to get you there, it's going to take you like almost another year to kind of walk your way up out of it, which can be really, really hard to adhere to and do. But if you can do it, if you can do it slowly and gradually and finally get there, um, you're going to keep your results um you're gonna you're gonna basically we want you to stay fit and healthy in the gym you're gonna find that you get stronger you get fitter um and you are going to be able to eat more um and it is it's a slow process but it is doable and that's essentially how it's done emma yeah i think this is like the question it does like as much as it's cool to have lost whatever in eight weeks what impresses us way more is if you come back in six months and say i managed to maintain that because that's the truth that's like the definition of a successful diet even in studies when they look at dieting success they do a follow-up like six months and a year after to see who's put that weight back on and who's managed to maintain it and the real difference between those two people is if you've implemented behaviors that you can Mm. actually stick to to lose that weight so if you've managed to just over restrict for eight weeks and you have the mindset of right once this eight weeks is finished I'm just gonna like eat again like or eat the way that I was before and you kind of have this short-term mindset of your diet that you're not really interested in maintaining your results which is obviously something you don't have because you're already asking about this which is brilliant but those people tend to be the ones that yo-yo diet and like jump on different programs do a little bit with each person lose a bit of weight but always put it back on and that's exactly what we don't want with this which is why we're going to do a continuation program why we're going to keep supporting you so that hopefully you know maybe in the eight weeks depends how far you've got to go you've lost all the weight that you wanted to lose and then you're learning to maintain that so as Chloe said she's sort of talked spoken about the the physiology side of it that you would slowly bring your calories up to maintenance and then you stay around there um, and and I guess the behavior side of it is just to make sure that the, the behaviors you're implementing at the moment are solid and, and they're, they're turning into habits. So it's a habit that you go and walk every day. It's a habit that you get your workout in. It's a habit that you structure your meals and you eat enough protein in them. The one thing that people sort of slightly get wrong about this is that they think, oh my God, this is really hard. I'm not gonna be able to do it forever. And the thing is, yeah. you won't have to do it forever because you're now on dieting calories. You're now in a deficit. When you bring your calories back up to maintenance, you'll be able to eat a bit more. Um, yeah. So I wouldn't like, don't think, oh my God, this is unsustainable forever. One, the behaviors will come will become much easier. So for example, if you're someone who snacks all the time and during this time you're, you're like stopping snacking, initially that will be really hard because you'll always be like, oh, I would have had a snack at 11. Oh, I really wish I had a snack. But honestly, once you do it for a while, it just becomes a habit and you don't even think about it. You're like, well, that's not something I do. So you don't really crave it anymore. So it it does become easier over time. Not saying that you can't snack, but it's just an example. No, Emma's completely right. It, It is about if you can implement the behaviors, then that in and of itself makes it become easier over time because you're in a behavioral pattern. Um, and also, you know, it, it is 
so I'm in, I'm on a diet break right now. And while it might be hard initially, um, for really on either side of the spectrum, either to be eating higher calories and not be scared, um, or to be eating higher calories and not blow it completely out the water. Cause you know that you're eating higher calories now. It is a hard behavior to implement, but eventually that kind of diet mentality that you may have spent a few weeks or months in, or even like I say up to a year in that diet mentality, when you start to kind of, um, reintroduce more more life balance it it subsides and you mentally have more balance and it gets a lot easier so I think a lot of the time people look at the after diet and feel like quite scared because they're still in that diet mentality but once you get there and it is hard at first like I say but slowly 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 you come out of that diet mentality and it doesn't feel overwhelming or pressurized or any of that anymore it feels like life um again and all of a sudden you look back and you go wow that was really really worth it and that's the goal that's the long-term goal um but yeah it's it's uh, the only reason i tend to find that people including myself (laughs) have failed at it a a couple of times is because it is it is like another diet in and of itself but um yeah their their goal is worth it and i think a lot of people just think oh well i've lost the weight now i don't need to work with anyone like i'll just be fine on my own and i really would recommend that you, even just for a while to make sure that you've found your maintenance level, that you're comfortable with your behaviours, that you've been able to maintain that for a while, that you've got performance goals and you're happy doing them. And then maybe you want to go off and do it on your own. But I would yeah. definitely recommend that you make sure that you're sustaining that weight loss because I honestly think that's much harder than losing the weight. Like just just yeah. making sure that you can maintain it first. Yeah. Okay, last question today is from Lisa. She says, hi, I really struggle with press-ups. Is it better to go and do them the hard way or take it the easy way? I think she means, is it better to do push-ups from your feet, I guess? Like full push-ups or push-ups from your knees? Um, I personally, I think, again, all coaches will probably have different advice for how to break through strength plateaus like this. But I personally would say, um, do as many as you can, quote unquote, properly. Um, and then when you have to drop onto your knees, drop onto your knees and then exhaust the muscle. And what's going to happen there is you're going to get stronger. Um, and then you're also going to be having the effect that we want them to be having on your body, uh, which is essentially to, to exhaust the muscle and fatigue it. Um, that would be my advice. Uh, Emma might have some better advice, Emma. No, no, I think that's brilliant. I would always say like do as many full ones as you can and then when you can't do them, drop onto your knees or take a little break. You know, if if it was the workout where I'm trying to get you to do 60 push-ups, which I know is a lot, <laughs> then um, you might just, you know, it depends how, if you can probably do like 12 in a row, I'd say, then you can probably with a couple of breaks get out a good number on your feet, like maybe 30 with some breaks and then just go onto your knees. The other thing that you can do, and and maybe not with such high reps, but with lower reps, you can do going down the way as a full press up and then put your knees down and push up. So you're still getting some of the eccentric loading on the lowering phase of the movement with the full press up and then put your knees down to push up. That's a good sort of halfway between the knee press up and the full press up. Yeah, I like that awesome right we've nailed it 
Now that I love it how you were like 60 press ups, which I know is a lot, and I was thinking better than my workout, which somebody got done in 12 minutes. I was like, oh god, oh god, what's happened? Like the panic that came over me. Oh dear, anyway, sorry about that, guys. To everyone who uh, who had an easy workout day, you're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> that was a deload a day. Late. Yeah, deload day, and um, to everyone who made it a bit later once it had been edited, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's one reason not to do your workouts early in the morning then. I know, right? I actually, I've switched my, I need to switch it back. I've switched my workout time now to the afternoon and it's just, it just doesn't suit me. I just Mm. need to get up and get it done. That's kind of how I need to roll. I think it helps with um, like cognitive function as well or how well you can concentrate after. Like if you know you've got it done. Yeah. Like one, you feel a bit more relaxed, but you also like, it's probably the endorphins and stuff, but you're quite buzzing to get on with a bit of work. And just yeah. excited. So I like doing it um, in the morning. When you just said that, when you're a bit buzzing, it kind of took me back to one of the questions I just wanted to quickly add on to the person who was asking about sleep. I struggle with sleep as well. Um, usually when I'm in a fat loss phase, but sometimes I just get into like a weird pattern which can last a few weeks, um, sometimes a few months. It's just not fun at all where my sleep is really disturbed. Um, And I started taking 5-HTP before bed, which is a supplement. um, And it has really 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 helped me and I know that my husband and his best friend um who are both kind of ex-rugby players who have years of taking trialing supplements under their belt have both said the exact same thing that's quite rare um so I would say look into 5-HTP um and take it before bed and it might help you if you take it and it doesn't obviously don't don't do a round two but for me it's been really helpful yeah melatonin's quite good as well I don't know if you can get it here though no so we yeah, we order ours from the States. But yeah. what I will say about melatonin is that it makes me fall asleep really easily. But then my um, my deep wave sleep is still is still the same in that it's not happening. Um, mm. And then and then it makes me sleep in really late. So I th- melatonin doesn't re- maybe I've got the dosage wrong, but melatonin doesn't really seem to sit well with me. I just that That's might be a dosage thing. Yeah, yeah no, anyway. It could be- but you're right in that you should just sort of see how your body reacts. Um, that and I was thinking exactly what you were saying is that as I was reading this study this morning about overweight people struggling with sleep a little bit more. The same is true. So the same is true on each end of the spectrum. Like if you're really lean, you probably yeah. won't sleep well either. And if you're quite overweight, you probably won't sleep well. So I guess it's staying in between those two things. Um, <laughs> yeah, that thing called homeostasis that all of us seem to struggle so hard. I know. It's so funny. It's so funny. Oh, but... and the other thing that I thought was really interesting that someone mentioned on the weekend. So do you take CBD oil? You do, don't you? I no, I used to. And then for some reason, we went we went away. We went to the Maldives. I stopped taking it because I went away. Um, and everything was kind of stayed the same as it was when I started taking it and then came back and was like actually I don't think I I don't think I need the supplement anymore but James takes it religiously Hmm. yeah it's interesting so we were talking about it on the weekend someone had asked a question about it and there isn't much research for it yet to support it but it's it's still quite an interesting topic and I think a lot of people anecdotally have found it helps with anxiety and someone Mm. made a really good point I think it was Sophie actually and she was like well, one, there's like you cannot underestimate the placebo effect; it's massive. Agreed. But, 
also two, if you are taking that when you're anxious, one, you're acknowledging that you're anxious. So you're like, right, okay, I'm feeling really stressed and anxious. I'm going to stop and go and take CBD oil. So yeah. you've acknowledged it, which is probably the first step. And then mm-hmm. two, like you have to hold it under your tongue for like, even if it's just five seconds or something, that's almost just like, sometimes that is all you need really is like five seconds of just chilling out, relaxing yeah, and thinking yeah. that something is going to help. And then thinking that you will be less anxious probably has yeah. a huge effect. I completely agree. I think so. I, I was taking CBD oil years ago um and i continued taking it for a really long time i'm somebody who suffers with really bad anxiety disorders not really now but it's definitely in me and it's definitely a huge part of my past um i will say that um there is a hundred percent something to be said for the placebo effect um thinking that something is going to help you and then it does even if there's no research and no evidence to back it up and there really is no research or evidence on cbd as it stands because um people are scared to go near it but essentially people are just terrified of it which is weird when you think about how many places that actual weed is legal in but anyway um everybody's terrified to go near it um and uh, I will say that I personally, personally think it is a placebo effect. And I personally, I think Emma's right um, that like, well, what Sophie said is that acknowledging that you're anxious and then basically putting in measures to try and tackle that is is going to really help with anxiety. Um, and I also think that, yes, putting some like just even that, like it's 15 seconds under the tongue and even that will force you to be present for 15 seconds and that's the holy grail of anxiety if you can force yourself to be present which is what we all find so bloody hard to do um it's it's going to have a really good effect on your ability to kind of um keep your anxiety from kind of spiraling out of control i think i think it is all behavioral um i don't think to be honest i because i also have a background of smoking a lot of weed i don't think it's got anything to do with that um but well that's a good like it's an interesting point as well like because we i know a lot of my friends smoke weed when they're anxious and obviously it reduces anxiety at the time but i also think it increases anxiety long term in some people and it's quite scary the psychological effects it can have and and I think because it's so different for different people like I think if you already have maybe a predisposition to being anxious it can exacerbate it some people will smoke weed and just have a bit of a high and then they're absolutely fine but people who potentially become reliant on it because they think it's helping them actually might be making things worse yeah, it can affect different people in different ways and also the different strands of weed. I mean, you know, there's a, there is a vast menu <laughs> of marijuana out there. And I will say that that this just just so we're clear, I stopped smoking weed when I was in my early 20s. So it's it's been a while. But um there but there were definitely strands that um really agreed with me mentally and there were definitely strands that I mean I would have to go home because I was so anxious and I've seen it do some really horrible like skunk I've seen do some really horrible things to friends of mine who have never been the same again um who smoked it every day for years and years and years but then there are people who I know that it's done wonders for you know if you go a bit more like organic like bushweed people who've had really 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 great responses to it so I think it depends on the strand it depends on the person um and I do think personally that CBD oil is a placebo but who cares like I mean Mm -hmm. I feel guilty even saying it because if it if it works for that person it doesn't matter what it is it's working 
Yeah, I completely agree, and you can't underestimate that effect. I I do think there will be something... So the endocannabinoid system, which is the system it works on, is actually really interesting, and I've worked on it previously, and this was a study in mice where we gave them Romanobant, which was like a... It used to be an antidepressant, but it had quite bad side effects. Um, But it does increase insulin sensitivity in certain tissues, and that you know that could be a helpful treatment for potentially diabetics but the the problem is that you can't like it crosses the blood-brain barrier so it will have an effect psychologically and I think the effect was increased suicide which is quite a bad effect but on the mice that didn't happen surprisingly I think we should do like a whole EC method podcast on like your history and the studies that you did and were a part of and what you what you found and then like application and what you found as a coach. I would be so into that. I would geek out so hard. We should. (laughs) And we can do one on your background when you used to smoke weed. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it was great. It was really good. I would smoke a lot of weed, listen to a lot of hip hop and eat a lot of KFC. It was a joyous few years of my life. Chicken is the best. Um, well, I all think right. that's uh, well, a good place to round up. I know. And is that all the questions for the check-ins this week? Yes, we've nailed it. Fine. So we'll do this again next week. Yes. Okay. All right, guys. Have a good one. Bye. <laughs>